Well, good morning, everybody. As we get prepared to open up God's word, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we just come before you, God, and uh, Father, we are just so grateful uh, that in your wisdom, God, you, you gave us something like a, a new year every 365 days, Father, which represents, at least mentally, God, uh, this, this chance to just start fresh, Lord. Uh, God, 2016 is behind us. 2017 is full of possibilities, Lord, and there is no telling uh, what you are going to do in this year and what you're going to do in and through us in this year. And so, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to start out this new year on a Sunday and start out this new year in church, and, and what a great opportunity to get the right perspective on, on what's ahead. And so, Father, we, we just thank you for this time together, Lord, and as we now turn our attention to your word and what you would want to say to us on this first day of the new year, God, we pray that you would uh, speak through uh, me, Father. I pray that you'd speak through uh, those who stand on this stage, God, and, and Father, that, that ultimately your Holy Spirit would be the one uh, whose message is, is received here today. And so we give this time over to you, and we ask that you are pleased in and through it, and we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, do me a favor, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you brought them today, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah, in case you don't know, is the second to last book of the Old Testament. The easiest way to find it is to find a book in the New Testament you're familiar with and turn to the left. And uh, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Right before that is the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1 is where we are. And as you turn there, once again, I want to wish you a very happy new year. And uh, I do think it is a very special privilege that we get to meet together in church on this first day of 2017. And since it is the first day of 2017, that means a number of different things. But one of the things that that means is that 2016 is forever behind us. We will never experience 2016 again. And all God's people said, amen, amen right? Amen. Well, listen, no. For some of you, that may be a bad thing. You know, maybe 2016 was a really good year for you, and so you're sad to see it go. The consensus out there seems to be, however, that 2016 was a bit of a rough year, right? There were some kind of crazy things that happened in the news. Uh, this was a year we lost a, a ton of celebrities. We lost everybody from Princess Leia to Willy Wonka this year, right? We lost... Uh, Carrie Fisher, we lost Gene Wilder, among others. We also had some really weird news stories this year. I mean, this past year was the year that the, the phones started exploding in our hands and our purses, right? This was the year that the Cubs won the World Series. Uh, this is the year that Great Britain left the European Union. And this is the year uh, where we elected a former reality star to President of the United States. And there's the whole Russian hacking and all of that going on. So it's, it was just a pretty crazy year. But we are now here in 2017, and if you sit here today on this first day of the new year, and you're kind of happy to be done with 2016, maybe for you personally it was a bit of, rough, of a rough year, and you're looking forward to getting a, a fresh start, maybe a second chance on some of the circumstances in your life, maybe a second chance on life itself, well then I have some really good news for you here today. And the good news that I have for you today is that our God, men and women, our God is a God who loves to give second chances. Our God is a God who loves to give fresh starts. Fresh starts on circumstances in life, fresh starts in life in general. And that is exactly what this new sermon series that we're really kind of beginning officially next week, but we're sort of previewing this week uh, that will be in, in the month of January, it's all about. We're, we're titling this sermon series, Second Chance. 
And this series is all about the God of second chances, the God who loves to give his people a fresh start on life. And it's in previewing this message today that, that I bring you here to the book of Zechariah. I know probably Zechariah is the last book in the world you thought you'd turn to on January 1st, but the reason I bring you here is because the book of Zechariah is a book that is all about the God who loves to give second chances. The background of this book, just to give you a little bit of context, the background of this book is it was written right at the end of that very difficult and dark season that I've talked about in almost all my recent messages when the Israelites faced this time of destruction as a result of their disobedience, as a result of their sin. And God allowed this foreign nation, the Babylonians, they came in, they invaded Israel, they almost wiped Israel off the map, they burned it to the ground, and, and they took a number of the Israelites captive. They made them leave Israel, and, and they made them live in Babylon in a time that became known as the exile. And for 70 years, the Israelites lived in this time of exile. Well, at the end of 70 years, God allowed the Israelites to come back to Israel. And as they were returning to Israel, God raised up a prophet, a spokesperson by the name of Zechariah. And what God did for Zechariah is he gave Zechariah a series of visions, a series of dreams that had meanings, that had messages in them. And he wanted Zechariah to share this with the Israelite people. And Zechariah wrote this down in this book of Zechariah. And what I want to do here this morning is very briefly... I want to touch on two visions that God gives Zechariah. And the reason I share these with you is because they show how our God is a God of second chances. And I hope it's encouraging to you on this New Year's Day. So we'll begin with the first vision. It's, it's right towards the tail end of Zechariah chapter 1. And the background around this is in this particular dream that Zechariah has, he sees an angel. And this angel is asking God a very interesting question. You see, this angel knows that the Israelites have been allowed back in Israel, but they're still facing some very difficult circumstances. As I said, their land was burned to the ground, so it's nothing but rubble when they return to Israel. Uh, their population is only a fraction of what they once were, and, and they don't have the wealth, they don't have the resources that they used to have. And so this angel sees this, and so he asks God a question, and we'll pick it up here in verse 12. This is the question that Zechariah sees this angel ask God. It says, Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? How long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem, again verse 12, and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? And really what this angel is asking in this question is, God, when are you going to restore Israel to its former glory? Yes, you've allowed them back in their homeland. That's great. But they're still facing some difficult times. So when are you going to have mercy? When are you going to have grace on your people again? And you have to understand, men and women, this is a pretty bold question for this angel to ask God. Because God is under no obligation whatsoever to ever show mercy to the, to, to the Jewish people again. I mean, they made it clear for centuries that they wanted nothing to do with God. For centuries, they committed evil, detestable acts, and God gave them numerous opportunities to repent, numerous opportunities to turn from their ways, and they made it clear that they wanted nothing at all to do with God. And so in response to this question, God has every right to say to this angel, how dare you? How dare you think that I would ever show mercy to the Israelite people again? They turned their back on me. I have every right to turn my back on them. God has every right to say that. He has every right to do that. But guess what? Our God is a God of second chances. And so rather than respond in anger to this angel's questions, this is how he responds, verse 13. 
It says, so the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me, me, Zechariah. So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel. So rather than respond in anger, this angel, or God responds in kind and comforting words. And what are those kind and comforting words? That's what you see in the verses that follow. The key for us, though, is jump down to verse 17. This is what this angel tells God, or that God tells this angel, verse 17. It says, proclaim further. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Let me read that again. These are the kind and comforting words. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. And what is God saying here? He's saying, listen, I am going to restore Israel to its former glory. He says, the towns are going to prosper again. He says, I'm going to comfort Zion. Zion's just another name for Israel. I'm going to comfort Israel. And then I love this last part. He says, I'm going to choose Jerusalem again. And what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, my chosen people are still my chosen people. And I will show the same love and the same compassion and the same mercy that I had for them before they disobeyed. So what is God doing here? He is giving the Israelites a second chance. Because our God is a God who loves to give his people second chances. And that's what we see in this first vision. Now, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4. I want to take a look at another vision, then we'll sort of put this together, okay? Zechariah chapter 4 is the next vision. So the Israelites, they return to Israel, and when they do, they find out that one of the things that the Babylonians had burned down 70 years earlier is they had burned down the temple in Jerusalem. And this is a really big deal, because the temple was at the very center of the life, of religious life for the Jewish people. It was God's house here on this earth. It's where God met with his people. It's where God's people met with him. And so you take away the temple, and at this time in, in the Jewish faith, you take away the entire Jewish faith. So when the Israelites returned to Jerusalem, one of the first things that, that God had to do is he had them start to rebuild the temple. But as they started to rebuild the temple, they ran into a problem. And the problem was it became very clear very early on that this temple was not going to be anything like the temple that had been destroyed. You see, the temple that was destroyed was actually Solomon's temple. It was a temple that King Solomon built back in the book of 1 Kings. And, and Solomon's temple, you read about it in 1 Kings, it, it's one of the most beautiful, elaborate structures probably ever created. I mean, we're told it was, it was, it was uh, plated in pure gold. It, it was stunning. In fact, a lot of scholars today probably it would have cost billions of dollars with a B, billions of dollars in modern-day currency to build Solomon's temple. Well, when the Israelites return to Jerusalem, they don't have billions of dollars. So they can't build a billion-dollar temple. They have to build a thousand-dollar temple. And you can imagine how, how depressing that would be, how discouraging that would be. It would be like, uh, remember the fires in Yorba Linda back in 2008. Some of you lost your homes in those fires. Imagine trying to rebuild your home and running out of money. And, and whereas you used to have a five-bedroom home, now you're only able to afford a one-bedroom bungalow. Imagine how discouraging that would be. That's how it was for the Israelites. And so they were actually tempted to, to just give up on rebuilding this temple. And it's in this discouragement that God gives Zechariah another vision. And the key for us is what God says to Zechariah at the beginning of verse 10. Look at the beginning of verse 10. God says this. He says, who dares despise the day of small things? Who dares despise the day of small things? Or as my favorite translation puts it, for who dares make light of small beginnings? For who dares make light of small beginnings? And what is God saying here? He's saying this. Israelites. I know this temple looks like nothing to you right now, and I get that. 
But you need to remember what I told you. I'm going to make you prosperous again. And I'm going to take this small temple, I'm going to take this day of small beginnings, and I'm going to blow you away with what I'm able to do with it. And God does. In time, this temple that they build here in Zechariah 4, it gets added on to, it becomes even more beautiful, it becomes even more elaborate than Solomon's temple. And not only that, but this is the temple in Zechariah chapter 4, this is the temple that Jesus himself is dedicated at. This is the temple that Jesus teaches in. This is the temple that welcomes God himself here to this earth. So God takes this small temple, God takes this day of small beginnings, and God does something extraordinary with it. And brothers and sisters, that is how our God often operates. Not only does our God love to give his people second chances, but often when God gives his people second chances, they come back even stronger, they come back even better than before. You see that with Israel, with this temple here. You see it in the New Testament with Peter, right? Peter, who denied Jesus three times. God gave him a second chance. Peter goes on to become the greatest of Jesus' 12 disciples. You see that with Paul, right? Paul persecuted Christians. Paul was responsible for the death of Christians. God gave Paul a second chance. Paul goes on to evangelize pretty much the rest of the world. We are here today because of the second chance that God gave Paul. You see that with Abraham in the book of Genesis. You see that with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You see that with the man uh, possessed by demons in the book of Mark. You see it all over the place. Not only does God love to give his people second chances, but often when people are given second chances, they come back even better. They come back even stronger than before. And if you are sitting here today, and if 2016 was a rough year for you, and you are looking to get a second chance on your circumstances in life, second chance on life in general, I want to let you know that not only does God want to give you that second chance, but if you take God up on that offer, there is no telling what God can do in and through you in 2017. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about how you can take God up on this offer. But before we do that, our outreach pastor, Aaron Opak, who you saw just a second ago, he recently has had some incredible stories of some people who have been given second chances in his life. And they're so encouraging that we thought it'd be great to invite him up this first day of the new year to share some with you. So would you welcome Pastor Aaron Opog to the stage? Thanks, Chris. Hey, guys. Uh, do you believe that? That our God is a God of second chances? That is really our aim during this service today, is to really help focus our attention, beliefs, our thought, our thinking of God, to be correct in that God loves to give second chances. He rejoices in giving forgiveness. He rejoices in showing grace. He rejoices in when people choose him over sin and death. Uh, Jesus reaffirms this belief about God in a very famous passage in Luke 15, 8 through 9. Uh, it's a passage will come on the screen here. It says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 10 is a remarkable statement by Jesus. What he's saying is that God delights in, rejoices in, giving people second, third, fourth, fifth chances in life. When Jesus gives this parable, uh, this little story, he is actually sitting around a table 
with a bunch of so-called sinners of his day, most likely people who had been caught in some kind of public sin. And the religious leaders in Jesus' day actually looked down on this and looked down on Jesus because in their mind, they thought that if you associated yourself with a sinner, you too would become impure. It was guilt by association. They believed this because in the Old Testament, God had said, I'm holy, therefore be holy. And holiness means to be set apart. And so they thought, well, for us to be holy, we've got to separate ourselves from anybody who's in any known sin. And that belief was incorrect. They didn't interpret what God meant in that passage. And so Jesus gives this short story in order to correct their thinking. He says there's rejoicing in heaven when one person turns from their sin and embraces God. Jesus teaches us this parable in order to communicate that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is filled with imperfect people who need grace, who need forgiveness, who need love, who need second and third and fourth chances. The kingdom of God is going to be filled with people just like all of us in this room right here. And Jesus shares this parable in order to communicate to us that our God is not a God who separates himself from people who are caught in sin. He's a God who pursues people and he rejoices when lost people are found. It's an incredible passage. I have um, experienced some of this rejoicing and joy this past year in my own ministry. Um, there's a lot of things that excite our French church staff. Uh, one of those things is a, is a paid day off. We love paid day off. Who doesn't like a paid day off, right? Um, our staff also really, really gets excited about free Stefano sandwiches. You get a hint here, free, right? We love when there's leftover Stefanos after Connect with Friends. We love it. And there's, we get an email, staff email, hey, there's free Stefanos. Everyone rushes to the fridge like it's, you know, gold or something. Um, uh, but the thing that excites us most as a staff is when we gather together every other Tuesday morning for our staff meeting, and someone in that meeting shares about a story of someone coming to Christ for the first time. There is a contagious joy that happens among our staff when people share stories like this. Um, you'll get a lot of smiles. Uh, you'll get a lot of nods uh, and approval. And sometimes if it's a great story, you'll get some applause too. But people will start applauding, right? It's like, I got it there, you know? And uh, this past year, I experienced uh, some great joy in ministry. One of those stories happens to be a friend of mine named Cam. He wasn't a friend until he walked in our church doors last year. He came right through the front doors over here and he met Scott Benson. And he was looking for answers and for guidance. And Scott knew right where to bring him. He walked him down the hallway and brought him to our Faith 101 course in our classroom. Cam's a 25-year-old guy. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He's got a good job. Uh, but he hit a wall. He got involved in some hard drugs. He was looking for answers. And he came every single week to Faith 101. And on week two, uh, we were talking about the Old Testament. And for some reason, I don't know why we were talking about David and Goliath. I have no clue why that was relevant in that talk. But we were talking about David and Goliath. And he turned to his neighbor and said, who is David and Goliath? To say the least, Cam didn't know a whole lot about the Bible and Jesus and God. But he came every single week. And he listened. And he took in the information. At the end of that, uh, that course... He went to coffee with my intern, Joseph Lewigs, great guy. And I got a phone call from Joseph after that coffee time, and he said that Cam had placed his faith in Christ over coffee. And I cannot tell you about the contagious joy that I felt in my heart when Joseph shared with me about Cam. Cam is now a good friend. He is in our No Regrets ministry. He's a helper for me in Faith 101. He's growing in his walk and his love 
of Jesus. And there is just this contagious joy that I think is a piece of what God feels when, as Jesus says in this passage, when one person comes to Christ. It's incredible. I was in Coffee Bean when I got the news about Cam, and I wanted to give like a Tiger Woods fist pump, you know, when he was good at golf. I wanted to give like the, the big, you know, like, Timothy, yeah, you know, but I wanted to keep it cool, so I just kind of nodded my head and had a big smile. But you want to just really tell everybody, you know, when someone comes to faith in Christ. And I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that God loves and delights in giving second chances, because I think in our heart, we think to ourselves, you know what? God must do it reluctantly because he has to. But he loves to. He delights in it, actually. Uh, and I think sometimes we have some beliefs in our heart that get in the way of receiving his grace. I think sometimes we think that, uh, that we're totally unlovable by God. And we're totally guilty for what we've done. No matter how hard we try to socialize or psychologize or, you know, normalize or uh, Instagramize, you know, our sin and make it normal, I think deep down we know that we are guilty. We've done wrong, whether that be something we've done to someone else or we've neglected a good thing because of whatever is going on in our life. And we might think to ourselves, man, if God knew me, if God knew what my thoughts are, my motivation, if God knew my thoughts towards others, there's no way he would really want to give me a second chance. But he does. He loves us. We might be even tempted to think we have to get ourselves cleaned up before we come to God in 2017 for a second chance. Uh, it reminds me of another friend of mine. Her name is Shannon. She came to Faith 101 as well this past uh, year. She walked into our church. I had never met her before that. And uh, she listened for six weeks, just kind of sat there and took in all the information about Jesus and God and the Bible. And one week, in fact, she came by herself and she was the only person there and uh, she was with six of our Faith 101 leaders. And we looked at, looked at Shannon and said, Shannon, you're going to get the best of what Faith 101 has to offer today because it's you versus seven of us, you know. And she was like, great, uh, you know. Uh, at the end of the course, I asked Shannon, Shannon, on a scale of one to ten, ten being today I am ready to put my faith in Jesus. And a one being I want nothing to do with Jesus and you'll never see me and peace out. Uh, where are you? And she said, uh, I'm a seven. It's a great sign. I said, well. Uh, what would get you to a 10? And she said, I need to get a few more answers to some questions that I have. And I said, sure, I respect that. Like, I understand that. Cool. So she went to coffee with one of our other Faith 101 leaders, Lindsay Hahn. Uh, and, and Lindsay is awesome. And she shared the grace of God with Shannon. And she called me later that afternoon and said that Shannon had also put her faith in Christ over coffee. There's something about coffee. I don't know what it is, but it does something good. And, and again, contagious joy. But as it turns out, Shannon's idea that she needed to get more answers was really just another way of saying that she needed to get cleaned up before she came to faith in Christ. And when Lindsay shared with her the grace of God and shared with her about Jesus, she was won over. And men and women, if you need a second chance today, today's the day. Because God is not waiting for you to become somebody. Excuse me. He wants you right now where you're at. And that's our God. He loves giving second chances. Now you might wonder, how on earth does God do this in our life? And there's one of my favorite passages, 1 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18 and 19. It's going to come on the screen. It says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has come. Behold, all, behold the new, uh, all things are new. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I love this passage. How does God give us second chances? He tells us in verse 19, God does not count our sins against us because of the victory of Jesus on the cross. I mean, think about that. I mean, all the pride, all the words we've used that have hurt people, all the good things that we've neglected in 2016, all the things we've done that we didn't want anyone else to know about, none of it gets held against us. He doesn't hold any of it against us. That's incredible. That's good news. Because of the victory of Jesus on the cross. Uh, I met a seeker this past year. A seeker is somebody who has a lot of spiritual questions but hasn't come to any conclusions. And, um, and I got introduced to him in public. And uh, this guy said, Aaron's a pastor. And this young guy looked, looked around and said, uh, what's, a, what's a pastor? I said, well, a pastor, I didn't even know how to answer him. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I was like, uh, a pastor is somebody, uh, pull my textbook out uh, here, uh, who cares for people spiritually. He's, and he looked around kind of suspiciously. He was like, well, I need to talk to you right now. So we sat down in public, and he unloaded on me all the things that were going on in his life. And he had a lot of regret. And I listened, and I asked him, I said, hey, man, have you ever been able to forgive yourself for what happened in your life. He said, no. In fact, I try every day to think positively, and by the end of the day, I end up being worse off than when I started the day. And I suggested to him, I said, you know, that might be because you can't forgive yourself until you let God forgive you. I quoted one of my favorite passages, 1 John 1, 9, and it says this, um, uh, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I said to this guy, I said, God loves to cleanse us, to, to give us second chances. He makes all things new. He cleanses us from our sin, from everything. And I said, we want to bring God into that? And this guy said, yeah, I'd love to, actually. So right there we prayed that uh, he would be forgiven. And we just took a sip of faith. And after we prayed, uh, he said, man, I feel great. And I was like, cool, you know, and uh, he said, and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't tell if he could articulate what happened, but I knew that he encountered God. He did. And today that guy's being discipled and being followed up with. God loves to give second chances, and he does it by forgiving us, by not holding our sins against us, by cleansing us, and starting us and making us into new people. August 14th, 1941, 10 men were taken out of a uh, German Nazi concentration camp and lined up to be taken to a starvation cell. One of those men was a man named Franzik. Franzik, uh, as he was lined up, began to cry out, my family, my wife, my children, my wife, my children, I will never see them again. Upon hearing this, uh, a man named Max, uh, Maximilian Kolbe stepped forward. Maximilian Kolbe was a, uh, a Polish priest who was also being held captive in that concentration camp. 
And he stepped forward and he asked the Nazi guards, the Gestapo, if he could take the place of Franzik and die in his place. To everyone's surprise, the Gestapo agreed and Maximilian took his place and they were led to the starvation cell where they would eventually die. It was told by eyewitnesses that Maximilian was leading the people in that starvation cell in, in songs and hymns and public prayers so that the rest of the concentration camp could actually hear out loud these men singing as they waited their deaths. Maximilian was later shot because, of, uh, because he didn't die quick enough. And what happened to Franzik? Well, Franzik got out of the concentration camp. He lived a rich life. He lived another 53 years to the ripe old age of 95 years old. He had a great family. He had a great career. He had a rich life. And what did he do with the rest of his life? He actually went around and told everyone else about what Maximilian Kolbe had done for him. That Maximilian had taken his place in that concentration camp. That is what Jesus did for us. In fact, later on, the Pope said that the victory of Maximilian on the concentration camp is not unlike the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That is exactly what Jesus did. For you and for me, he took our place on the cross so that we couldn't, didn't have to be punished, didn't have to receive any kind of consequence. We could receive the abundant life of Jesus and receive a second and third and fourth and fifth chance. And God delighted in doing so. You see, men and women, uh, second chances are absolutely free. God wants to give them to us today in 2017, but they are not without a cost. Jesus went to the cross for us. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us in this room. And if you were the only one today in this auditorium, he would have done the same thing for you, just as Maximilian did the same thing for Franzik. And so today, maybe you hear these words and you think, I need a fresh start. 2017 has been, uh, I want to get on a good start, and 2016 has not been a good year. We want to lead our congregation in that right now. And maybe that begins first and foremost with your thinking. Maybe you're, you're thinking about God isn't right. Maybe you have not ever thought that God is a God who loves to show grace and compassion and mercy. And he loves to give second and third chances. And maybe it just starts with your mind and how you think about God. Or maybe today you are a follower of Jesus and you realize you have just been off track with God. That, that something has not gone well in your relationship with God. And today is a day of new beginnings, as Chris said. And it's a day to start fresh. And God is so waiting to give grace. And all he asks us to do is to confess and repent and acknowledge our sin. That's all confession means is to acknowledge our sin before God. God is not surprised by any of our sin. How shocking is that, right? He's not like, oh, man. He just asks for humility so he can give grace. That's all it is. It's just humility before God. And so I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And maybe we want to kind of talk to God about that. Or maybe today uh, you need to kind of get on track with something and you not just want to be a, a hearer of the word, but you want to be a doer of the word. And we want to encourage you, uh, starting in the next few weeks, to jump into Rooted. Maybe you say, oh, I've already done Rooted, but maybe you're like me the first time, you didn't do the homework, and it's like you just kind of attended, you know. I, I got some of you guys, right, in that one. We all have been there. And you're like, I need to actually do the homework. I need to dedicate myself to memorizing God's word and Rooted and get on track. Next week we'll have Connect with Friends. 
which is a great way to hear about and get plugged into the church as well. We'd love to have you there. Or maybe today, you don't need a second chance because you've never been given a first chance. That you've never started a relationship with Jesus. And you've never said, here I am, God, I'm yours. Maybe you are like Shannon and Cam who are ready to say yes to Jesus and believe in him. And if that's the case, I want to just leave you in a moment uh, of prayer. I want to explain to you how that's done. I call it the ABCs of the gospel. A, we have to acknowledge before God that we have sinned. Like I said, acknowledge, uh, confession of sin is just to agree that I have not done what God wants me to do and to humble ourselves before him and say, I need you, God, in my life. Uh, the B is we have to believe in Jesus. We have to believe that Jesus took our place like Maximilian did. He took our place on the cross so that we could have the abundant life. He took our place so that we didn't get, uh, won't be punished for any of our sin. We have to believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. We have to believe that he didn't just die on a cross, but he was also victorious over death. And he reigned and, and raised from the dead three days later. And then finally, we have to commit to him. We have to commit to him. Commit to following him. That's what a Christian is. It's a little Christ, somebody who intends to be like Jesus by his power and spirit. But we're not perfect, but we intend and want to commit to being like him. That's it, ABC. And if today you're ready to do that, I want to lead us in a moment of prayer and let God kind of minister to us. And then we're going to have one last song. So would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful to be here in 2017. And if the Holy Spirit, if God is knocking at your heart, uh, if you sense in your mind, man, it's time. I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I've been putting it off. The Bible says we just need to believe in our hearts. A prayer doesn't save us. Believing in Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us. And we just need to receive his second chance offered to us today. And so if, if you've never done that before, you can just kind of Say these words to God in your heart, believing them. God, I need you. God, I recognize that I have sinned against you. I acknowledge that I haven't done what you've wanted for my life. And I believe in Jesus. I want to receive his second chance for me. I want to receive his grace that he delights in giving. I believe, Jesus, that you died for me. You took my place. And I want to commit my life to following you. Yes. If you believe that in your heart and you pray that to God, the Bible says that you are a child of God. And right now, there's a supernatural thing happening between you and God. And you are his. You belong to him. And his spirit is given. And he's, you're part of a family. And you're given a purpose and, and new life. If today you're also just in need of a conversation with God, I want to just give us about 15 seconds for us in the new year today and on January 1 to have a conversation with God that you might need to have. So I just invite you in your own heart, wherever you may be, whether you are a Christian or a seeker, to talk to God now and let God kind of minister to you.
Father, you know every heart in this room. And we give you glory and praise. And you love us abundantly. You do not condemn us. You do not come to condemn. You came to save. You came to give us life abundantly. And we thank you for the life that we want to experience in 2017. And we give you the glory for all the conversations that are happening right now in this room between us and you. And we pray that you would lead us and guide us in this next year to be glorifying to you. In your name, Jesus.